on ministry with all of you. And so if you'll just join me, uh, I'm excited about this series that we're about to kick off today, but if you'll join me in a word of prayer before we go there. So Father God, you are so good. God, we love you. We thank you for, I mean, you have given us everything. We thank you that we can openly profess the name of Jesus right here, right now. God, we thank you that we can do that throughout this week even. We thank you for this country that we live in that has uh, given us the, the freedom to do that without fear of persecution. But God, I pray that we do that not because of freedom, but because of who you are in our life. That even if it ever comes down to not being the freedom to profess your name, we still do it all the more loudly because God, you are everything to us. And so I just pray that as we get ready to open up your word and see what you have to say and just, God, grow in our walk with you, let it be your words that are spoken. God, just use me to be the vessel and open up all of our hearts so that we can come to know the true God. God, may it all be for your glory, and it is in the name of Jesus that we pray this. Amen. So growing up, my brother and I, uh, kind of, we were country boys. We weren't farmers. If you've ever heard me try and talk farm talk, you would realize I'm not a farmer. But we, we grew up in the country, and we always, uh, you know, did the country thing of we had like 20 acres, and so we had ATVs specifically growing up, four-wheelers. And we loved riding on those. I mean, I remember from the, like being a little kid, we would go down to Winoka, Oklahoma, sand dunes, and we would be sitting in front of, other people before we're even able to touch the pegs and we would be cruising around those sand dunes and we loved it. I mean, it was so much fun. I actually have a photo. My brother was riding on the front of a three-wheeler one time and that three-wheeler came down a sand dune, hit what we call whoop-de-whoops and it flipped him off the front of the three-wheeler and the driver could not stop. And I have that photo if we can pull it up real quick, Jeff, because my brother is not very old and those are tire treads on his face. That's not makeup. Like he straight got ran over and he still had a smile because he got Oreos afterwards. And I mean, like he is okay. He came out of that. But my brother was always definitely the more dangerous one. That stuff happens to him, not me. Because I stay within my realm of reason. I know my limits and I made sure I never overstepped limits. And so like he got brain surgery. He broke his collarbone multiple times. I mean, the dude is a living testimony that God's got a plan for him still. And it's just so cool to see how God is working in him. But I remember he bought a dirt bike one time. And it was a Yamaha YZ250. And it actually, the motor had some work done to it. So it actually was a bigger motor than that. And my brother, I always, I'm the younger one, always wanted to ride that dirt bike. And my brother was like, no, <laughs> you're going to kill yourself. And it was like, no, that's you. I'm the safe one. I know what I'm doing. And like, he was always looking out for me. Like during Christmas, I'd get a present and I'd be like, I don't have a knife. Can I have a knife? And he'd be like, no, you're going to cut yourself. And I would beg him. And so he'd give it to me and I'd cut my hand and like just hide it behind my back and be like, no harm done. I'm cool. But he was this way with that motorcycle where he was just like, you can't ride it. And he told me it is way too powerful for you. And I was like, dude, I grew up on these things. We have the same parents. I can do this. Like, I know you did it. I can do it. And he was like, no, no, no. And like, I think I was 21. And he was like, you, you, you can't ride it. And finally, I begged him enough. And he was like, all right, but keep it in first gear. 
And I'm like, that's insulting. Like, I have my own four-wheeler, my own motorcycle right now. Don't treat me like I'm a child. And he was like, don't goose it. And I was like, dude, I got this. And so he was like, no, it's got way more power than you. I'm going somewhere with this. But he was like, it's got way more power than you can imagine. And so I was like, whatever. So I'm putting around, going in first gear. And then I get behind a shed. And I was like, I'll show him. I know what I'm doing. And I mean, I tell you, that thing popped up quicker than I knew. I mean, it was just like, and like, (laughs) thankfully, my right foot found the brake on accident and it just slammed it back down. I went straight back to my brother, parked it, jumped off. And he was like, you goosed it, didn't you? And I was like, we don't need to talk about that. But he told me, he was like, he had told me over and over, this is how powerful this thing is. And it was like, even though he told me, I did not understand it until I truly experienced it. There was a story of this boy and he and his family went to the beach and he just found his time on the ocean, just kind of building sandcastles, burying himself and everything. And his family kept trying to get him to come to the water, into the ocean. And he always was like, no, I'm good where I'm at. I don't need to get in the water. I'm good. And they're like, you need to experience the ocean. And he's like, I can see it. You guys told me that it's wet and cold and salty. That's all I need. And they're like, no, until you truly experience it, you're not going to know the full benefit of it. And so finally, there was about five minutes left in their day. They'd been there for like three hours and they had five minutes left. And the family finally convinced the boy to go into the ocean. And so he stepped in, he got his toes wet, then he got to his knees and then he got to his waist and he just felt the, the power of the ocean as the waves were just moving him. And he just started breaking down because he realized Even though he had been told about it, he never experienced it until he was really in it. And so we're going to start this new series today called Evangelion, which is Greek for the good news or the gospel. And I think that just like myself on that dirt bike, see, told you I was coming somewhere, myself on that dirt bike and that boy in the ocean, we have been told the gospel. I mean, we might have read it multiple times. We might have professed it, but my hope is by the end of this series, we will experience it. That we will be able to say, man, that is what I'm willing to live for. That is what I'm willing to die for. That is what I am willing to sell all my possessions and go seek after who Jesus is. I hope that we experience the gospel. Because Paul, he experienced the gospel in Romans 1.16, where he ended up saying, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the good news of God. It is the power of God to save the Jews first and then the Gentiles. I mean, Peter and John in Acts chapter 4, they are before the court and they are being told, do not speak in the name of Jesus anymore. Like you can, we'll let you go, just don't speak in the name of Jesus. And they respond, hey, it, whether it's right for us to speak in that name or not, you decide. Like you decide if it's free or not. We cannot help but speak about what we have seen and heard. And then right before that in Acts 4.13, you see that these aren't any special people. I mean, they say in Acts 4.13 that they saw that they were ordinary, uneducated men. 
but that they had been with Jesus. It wasn't something they just read. It wasn't something that they just tried ingesting. It was they were living with Jesus. They experienced the true power of the gospel. And so that's where we're going to be. We're going to be in what is considered the gospel probably in one verse, John three sixteen. And we're going to be spending the next five weeks looking through those 25 words that are yet probably the most popular verse in the world. That they are known throughout countries, John three sixteen. Because leading up to this, Jesus is meeting with Nicodemus. And Nicodemus is trying to figure out, hey, like you obviously are from God. Like nobody can do what you're doing unless they're from God. And so then Jesus says that, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he will not be able to enter the kingdom of heaven. And obviously, like we talked about this last week, that is just weird to be told born again. What's that mean? I like go back into my mother's womb a second time and come out? Awkward stuff. And he's just like, no, I tell you, unless you're born of water and the spirit. And so we pick it up in John three fourteen through 15, where Jesus closes out that section by saying, Just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, and anybody who looked at the serpent was healed if they were bit by a snake, so too the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that whoever believes in him will have eternal life. And then Jesus transitions into John 3.16. But why is it that Jesus had to be lifted up? Why did Jesus have to go into this gospel message of John 3.16? Verses like Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All, every single person in this room has fallen short of the glory of God. And then Romans 6.23 tells us that the wages of that sin, the result of us falling short is that we deserve death. Eternal damnation in hell. That is the wages of our sin. But... Jesus goes into John 3, 16 and tells us there's hope. There's good news that you don't have to experience death. You can instead experience eternal life. And so John 3, 16 starts out for God. And that is all the further we're going to get in this verse today. For God, two words that seem so small, but yet I believe they are so significant because that is where we have to start the gospel. Because for, if you're an English teacher, you understand that for is a preposition and prepositions are what I was told squirrels can like do to a tree, like they can run through a tree, in a tree, up a tree, out of a tree. I don't get the for, but it's still a preposition. It falls in there somewhere. But for also can be translated as because. Because God. That's it. Why did Jesus have to be lifted up on that tree so that whoever believes in him will have eternal life? Because of God. Like, we have to understand that. That's where it starts. It's not because of you. It's not because of any good that you've done. You will never be able to look God in the eye and say, well, God, it's because I gave, I served, I attended, I taught, I helped. I, because of anything I did, you will never be able to say that to God. The only answer that you can say when you're standing before the gates of heaven and God asks that question, why should I let you in? You say, because God, because you, because Jesus, 
Not because I brought all of my good works with me. Not because of anything I have done solely because of who God is. I mean, we have to understand that. Too often we want to play the, yeah, but God, because I do this, you're going to give me this, right? Because I attended today, you're going to help my life just suddenly be perfect and I'll make a million dollars, right? Because I gave 10%, you're going to give me back 40%, right? It's like, no. We will never be able to say because we have done anything. It's solely because God. Never our doing, always God's doing. Not what you've done or doing or ever will do, but solely because of who God is. I mean, to think that you took the first step towards Christ is an utter lie. We have never taken that first step towards Jesus. He always takes the first step towards us. I mean, John fifteen sixteen tells us, when he, Jesus is talking to his disciples, he says, do not think that you chose me. You did not choose me, but I have chosen you. You did not choose God, but God has chosen you. He chose you to be with you. I mean, go through the Bible. I, I challenge you to do this. Go through the entire Bible and try and find one instance where there's a Bible character that said, mm -mm, God didn't choose me. I pursued after God. You're not going to find it. I mean, I don't know if you've come across this new TV series called The Chosen, but it's the first multi-season series about the life of Jesus. And they ended season one with Jesus um, going to the woman at the well in John chapter four. And they do a flashback at the beginning where Jacob is digging the well. And then this Canaanite comes up to Jacob and starts talking to him. And they, they get talking about, man, you're not going to find anything in this ground. It's horrible ground. And then the, the, they end up talking and Jacob says, well, my God has told, promised my, my grandfather Abraham. He has promised us a land. And so that's where we're going. We're sojourners. We're seeking that land that was promised to my grandfather. And then the Canaanite is like, man, isn't that funny how God's always promised something and it takes generations for it to come true? And then the conversation continues and the Canaanite's like, well, where's your temple? Where do you worship your God? And Jacob's like, he doesn't have a body. He does not reside in a temple right now. And then the Canaanite is like, wait, so your, your God is invisible? And Jacob's like, yeah, he's pretty much invisible. Except one time we did wrestle and he broke my hip. And that's why I have this limp still. And so then the Canaanite ends up saying a statement. He's like, wait a minute. So you have a God who like takes generations for his promises to come true. You have a God who is not in a body, like you can't find him. And yet he broke your hip and he called you to a land that you don't even know about. And Jacob's like, yeah, pretty much that's it. And then the Canaanite makes this statement. He said, that's a weird God to choose. And I love Jacob's response. Jacob was like, well, you see, we didn't choose him. He chose us. God chose you. You did not choose God. I mean, that's where we need to get in this. Because of who God is. Everything that you have in this world that is good and perfect comes from God. I mean, everything. God is the provider of it all. Like, we have to understand, first off, it's because of the nature of God. I mean, what is the nature of God? 
1 John 3.19 tells us, we love because he first loved us. To think that we can love without understanding who God is and that we could love God without God first loving us is not true. We wouldn't know what love is unless we knew God because John, 1 John 3.16 tells us that. God is love. And because of that love, James 1.17 says, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. And so it is God's nature to love you. It is God's nature to just give you love. Because what was there at the very beginning? Before it all started, there was God. You didn't exist. I didn't exist. The world didn't exist. There wasn't some cosmic dust that was just floating around and then boom, everything happened. There was God. John 1, 1 through 4. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And he was with God in the beginning. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. So in the beginning, you have God and nothing else. And then God, being love, says, I want to love something. And so God, through his voice, speaks. And you have heavens and earth, and through his voice speaks. And then you have planets and sun and moon and stars. And then you have waters and sky and creatures and birds and land animals. And then to top it all off, God says, all of that is pointing to me, my glory, but I want to love and I want to be loved. So I'm going to make man in my image so that he can love us. He can have that choice. But we want to have that choice without God first choosing us. And so because of all of that, everything was created, and it was created by Christ, for Christ, and through Christ. Colossians 1, 15 through 17. Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. Your existence is for the glory of God. Everything was created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him, all things hold together. So here you have this God who is love, who wants to show his love because he's God. And how do we respond? The same way we always respond as human beings. We mess it up. We do a great job of that. I'm reading through Judges right now. And it's like, oh boy, here we go again. They did what was evil in their own eyes or what was right in their own eyes. And it was evil to God. I mean, this cycle. And then it's like, oh, we cry out to God and God responds, gives them a judge. The judge dies. And then they go back into this cycle of, eh, you know, we'll just do what we want to do. It's like, man, human beings are amazing at messing it all up. And John 1, 10 through 11 tells us this. The world was made through him but the world did not know him. He came to his own people and his own people didn't even receive him. Instead, what'd they do? They hung him on a tree. They considered him cursed. That's what Isaiah 53, three through six says, that he was stricken, he was despised, he was rejected, he was esteemed, stricken, afflicted, and all of this is for us. 
it says that he took our sins upon himself on that tree so that through his stripes we can be made new. We can be healed through his, through his stripes, through his affliction, through his dying on that cross. We can be made new. Why? Because God. Because God is love. Because we cannot love without God first loving us. But you know the crazy thing? I've been trying to memorize Ephesians chapter, like all of it. And I've been trying to memorize it. And I got to this one spot. And it's Ephesians 1.4. That says, even as he chose us before the foundation of the world. Think about that. We just read that man messed everything up. That we rejected God. He was despised, afflicted, stricken, rejected. We didn't receive him. And before any of that happened, God chose us. God was like, hey, I'm going to make this creation, and I know they're going to fall short. I know they are going to mess it up. Not that I am making them do it. They on their own, because that's what comes with free will, is the ability to screw everything up. They are going to mess it up. And yet... He still chose us because God, John three sixteen for God, those two words are why God loves us, why God chose us, why anything good is happening because of who God is. It's why we're able to say, I have a hope. I have a future world waiting for me, an eternal life waiting for me, not because of me. But because God, because God is love and loved us before we could ever love him. Romans 5.8 tells us this. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I mean, Christ knew that we were going to sin. And yet before the foundation of the world, he said, I want to love them. It's going to be a plan that I'm setting forth. So that they can see the ultimate form of love. They're going to hear about it. They're going to see a little bit of it. But the whole thing is going to come together when they see Jesus on that cross. And they see this is how much God loves you. Because you as human beings, and myself totally included, are deserving of death, of hell, of eternal separation from God. I mean, not one good thing I've done will ever make up for the billion bad things I do. For the multiple times that I've sinned and fallen short. We're never, Jesus tells a parable about a, a master who ends up like not forgiving his servant. Like this guy was forgiven like a billion years worth of income. And then he didn't even forgive like a hundred days worth of income. And yet, that is how it is. Even if you had a thousand lives to live, you still could not say, God, finally. I'm like two billion years old. I finally paid you back. It doesn't work that way. We will never be able to pay the debt. It is solely because Jesus provided the way. So the only way we can say, God, why should I be able to be in your presence right now? Because of you. Because God that is the only reason. That is the only reason I get to stand up here today is because God. It's all because of him. 
And it's all made because Jesus made the way. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. He is the way. And then Colossians continues on to tell us in Colossians 2, 13, you and me who were dead in your trespasses, so we were dead, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive. What did I do? Nothing. God made alive. I love these next words. Having forgiven all trespasses. He forgave it all. By, why? Verse 14. By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. So what's happening is here, we are on trial before God. And it's like, all right, here we go. Andrew Peterman, you are destined to an eternity in hell. And you are as well. That is the payment for your sin. And then what Jesus did is he said, here, let me take that. It's canceled. You're forgiven. You no longer have to pay that debt. Here, I'm going to nail it. Whoa. Nail it to the cross. I'm going to send it. I'm going to, it's wiped clean. Not that you have to work it off. You're forgiven. It's done. It's been paid for. But why? Because God Because of who God is. And it is all your trespasses. It's not like, well, I lived this life before Jesus, and then I came to know Jesus, so all of that has been forgiven. But man, ever since I met Jesus, I'm still screwing things up. So I must have to work for those. No. It's all your trespasses have been canceled, forgiven, made clean. Because of what Jesus did for us. And maybe you're out there. I mean, I don't know everybody's personal story, but maybe you're out there and you're like, yeah, but. I mean, maybe for you to say, Andy, you're the one on the pulpit. You must have it all together. I don't. But you know, it's like, hey, you, you don't know what I've done in the past. You don't know my story, Andy. You don't know what really has happened. You don't know what I'm constantly going through this day, even though I claim Jesus. You don't really know, Andy. Like, Yeah, but God is great for all you Christians who have it all together, but for us sinners, you don't really understand. It's still for you. Because? Because God. Not because you've sinned too much. Not because you've worked your way out of some deep, dark hole on your own, and now you can stand on top and say, because of what I've done. No, but because of who God is. I hope I'm repeating because God, because this week I want that to be what is ingrained in your mind, where you are like, hey, I'm going to do this because I'm a, nope, nope. It's because of who God is. 1 Timothy 1.15, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am foremost. If you would try saying that to Paul, yeah, but Paul, you don't understand. It's everybody but me. Paul would say, hold on, stop right there. It's also you. Because Jesus came to save all sinners. And then Paul throws in that little caveat there at the end. I'm the worst. You want to start comparing Things? I mean, man, I persecuted God's very own people. Don't know how it gets much worse than that. Oh, but let's try. No, let's live in who God is because of who God is. 
Why would God do something like that? I mean, it's a logical question. Okay, I mean, I, I have this huge sin. I actually put Jesus on the cross because of my sins. Why? Because God. That is the only answer to why. That is where the good news starts, and I believe that is where the good news ends. It is solely God. Nothing else. I'm going to try and hammer this in your head. That it is God and God alone. And I know the thought might be, man, like if somebody did that to my son, like I would not be giving them mercy and grace. I'd be giving them wrath and justice. And it's like, yeah, you're not God. I'm not God. He's God. And as we're told in 1 John three sixteen, God is love. And so God gives us grace because God is love. Everything that God does stems from his love. 1 John 3, 16, God is love. And it's because God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. So yeah, we like that tail end, everlasting life, but we have to understand what leads up to it. It's solely because of who God is. Father God, you are good. God, we thank you that it's because of you. God, I, I hope that if anybody in here is thinking, yeah, but no, it's you. And that is the only way that we can have eternal life because of what you have done. And God, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for making the way possible. Thank you for sending your son to die in my place despite who I am and who I ever will be. It's never enough, but yet you prepared a way through Jesus. And so God, I just pray, may, may we not just know the gospel, but may we experience it so much that we live for you in everything that we do. We need you because it's all about who you are. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. If you'll stand with me this morning, our hymn of invitation is number 483. We're going to sing this in our time of invitation. And if the Holy Spirit's moving,